0: Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening. And now onto today's show. So, we're here today looking at some of the work that HSBC is doing with partners around the world. And today we're delighted to have a company called Matito, based in Dubai, but with operations around the globe. Delighted to welcome to the podcast the managing director of Matito, Rami Gandor. Rami, good to have you with us. Thanks very much indeed.
1: Good afternoon, Richard, and thank you very much for that intro.
0: Good to have you with us. Also on the pod today, there's three of us. Karen Kanner, Director, Head of Corporate Sales for the UAE Markets and Security Services, HSBC. Karen, good day to you. Hi, Richard. Glad to be on board. And so we're going to look at some of the ways that these two organizations are working together. But let's begin by taking a step back. Rami Gandor, you're based in Dubai. I'm based in Dubai, so I know Matito. I know what the organization is. But there'll be people listening around the world who perhaps need a bit of an introduction. So. Give us the the potted history of Metito and tell us what you're doing now.
1: Uh, Thank you, Richard, for the question. Uh, Metito is a a global water company. We operate across emerging markets. Uh, So more specifically, obviously, as you mentioned, we're headquartered uh, here in the GCC. So we we serve the region, the Middle East as a whole, Africa as a whole, Asia as a whole, and certain parts of Eastern Europe. Um, We are focused on water, and wastewater, so that means uh, desalination, uh, water treatment, uh, water recycling, industrial water, industrial wastewater, so we treat all types of water. We have been around since 1958, um, and our three founding principles are impact, sustainability, and innovation, or our vision really is to be the world's leading provider of intelligent water management solutions across emerging markets. Um, And our our business uh, is one where We're supplying a vital need to people. We've developed over 5,000 projects in over 50 countries, uh, working with uh, governments as well as private sector
0: worldwide. Thanks very much indeed for that, Rami. Karen, if I can come to you very quickly about HSBC, the bank needs no introduction, but can you give us a brief overview about why ESG is an important part of what HSBC does, not just because it's the right thing to do, but from a commercial perspective? Yeah, it's going to be very difficult to
2: follow Rami on this one, right? But in simple terms, right, transition to net zero is a key strategic pillar for HSBC. we want to do way more than simply play a part in the transition to a more sustainable world. Apart from being committed to become a net zero bank ourselves, we want to support our customers in their transition journey, which is exactly what we did with Metito, right? Uh, HSBC was part and led a 120 million sustainable linked loan to Metito to support their sustainable and circular water projects and intelligent water management solutions. And that's where we helped them. Uh, we supported Metito on their journey.
0: Well, we're going to dive in more detail into that deal a little bit later on because it is important because these things don't happen unless someone's financing. They are very, very capital intensive. But Rami, if I can start with you, first of all, uh, 3,000 projects in more than 50 countries across Africa, Eastern Europe, the Middle East and Southeast Asia. I am not going to ask you to name all of them. You will be glad to know on the podcast. But can you give us a couple of examples? I mean, I've been reading this morning. You've recently won something in Serbia. You're very active in the Middle East, in Egypt. in in the UAE, Asia as well. Give us a couple of tangible examples that will bring this to life, if you would.
1: With pleasure. Um, So uh, first project I'd like to bring up as an example that has quite an important sustainability angle uh, is uh, one of our very first concessions, which we signed back in 1999, where we developed and invested into the wastewater recycling of Dubai Investment Spark. So that's a, for those of you that are outside of Dubai, that's a a real estate development in Dubai. Uh, We receive the wastewater, we treat it, um, and then that's reused to irrigate uh, communities. And one of them is known as the green community um, and others, as well as uh, the water is being reused uh, uh, for district cooling. Uh, That's a typical example of a project where we've invested into it. We own it, we operate it. um, And the impact of something like that is is quite tremendous as we continue that journey um the more recent projects have had uh, much more of a sort of sizable impact uh so for example we're currently uh, executing the first public private partnership wastewater project in uh, saudi arabia in damman uh, as well as in qatar
0: um, can you give us a sense of the value of these projects i mean i've read the numbers and they're, they're sizable aren't they rami
1: the MAM project is of the order of $200 million, the total project cost. The Qatar project is of the order of uh, close to a billion dollars, total project cost. So, yes, there are indeed sizable numbers uh, that are there. But what I think are particularly interesting projects that I'd like to bring up, if I can, Richard, we have um, constructed and a country operating the world's largest agricultural wastewater reuse plant. Um, that's uh, in, in Egypt. Uh, It's called the Mahsana. We receive 1 million cubic meters of uh, pretty dirty runoff water, basically sewage. Uh, We treat that, um, and then we have a tunnel underneath the Suez Canal, and that's used to irrigate Western Sinai. Uh, So, politically, for Egypt, in terms of establishing uh, a strong presence in Western Sinai, that's very important. But from also, you know, we've been operating that since May 2020. And that's the world's largest water reuse project of that sort. What's interesting there is that we are currently constructing with our Egyptian partners um, a project which is seven and a half million cubic meters a day. So seven and a half times the world's largest existing project. Uh, also in Egypt, uh, in an area called uh, North Delta. So that serves the north coast area of Egypt, including Greater Alexandria and the like. And it's a population equivalent of 30 million people. And that, As we look at um, some of the issues Egypt is having with its neighbors regarding the Nile, uh, their strategy to reduce reliance is to reduce reliance on the Nile, and projects like this have tremendous impact on on the water consumption. The biggest water consumption typically is is agriculture, but here we're supplying agriculture, we're supplying industries and the like, such that we're reducing the amount of, of water required in totality.
0: I've got many questions I'm going to ask you about technological innovation. I'm also going to ask you about history as well and the history of the organisation. But first of all, Karen Canna from HSBC, you've been involved in financing, obviously not all, but but some of these projects. Give us a bit of context of of how you got involved in working with Matito to finance these projects. What were some of the the challenges maybe that you faced in financing these projects? And what kind of solutions did you come up with to make them happen? Because as we mentioned earlier, they are capital intensive. Rami mentioned billion dollars.
2: Yeah, I think for that, we need to step back and understand our relationship with Matito, right? And you know, one of HSBC's ambition is to be a preferred international financial partner for our clients. And there's no better evidence than how our relationship with Matito has grown over the years. We started banking with them, if I remember right, around 1997, and our relationship has only grown stronger since then. Which is, which to be fair, is a testament of Matito's own growth story, right? They're huge emerging market players. Rami himself will mention few of the countries he's based in: Saudi, Egypt, Indonesia, Thailand, just to name a few. And having had the opportunity to sit with and team, the global footprint is only going to expand from here. Right. So from an HSBC's perspective, we continue to strive to be the key banking partner at a global level and across all products. And I think from a markets angle and uh, you know, the bespoke swap we did afterwards, a few things to kind of consider. One is firstly market dynamics, right? I think we've gone from a phase of great moderation where you've had low interest rates, low inflation, stable growth to a period of great volatility where we're talking longer rates, uh, high inflation, uh, high volatility and erratic growth behavior, right? So the importance of risk management increases exponentially. In this particular case, Matito was open both to an interest rate and currency risk and wanted to manage that in the best possible manner. Uh, Rami and Rami's team obviously very uh, market, so from a suitability angle, understand the market extremely well. Uh, we wrapped the product in an ESG-linked structure, which is obviously much easier considering Matito's commitment to the uh, to the agenda. And uh, when we eventually covered, we finally closed this off in Jan, I think it's worked perfectly because considering first what's happened with the Fed and interest rates, uh, this has just hopefully set a standard for the rest of the corporates in the region.
0: Can we talk about this issue of linking the economic terms to the esg Key performance indicators, because that's quite innovative and and quite new for people who aren't in banking who are listening to this. Explain how that concept developed and how it works.
2: So this uh, this is the first ESG-linked derivative product that offers direct ESG-linked incentives to be dealt by the by HSBC Middle East. As I said, it marks a further step in its continued role in developing sustainable finance, you know, finance market in the region. In this particular case. Uh, Matito had four economic goals, which is water consumption target, water source target, wastewater treatment target, and the social sustainability target. And what we do is similar to the financing and on the markets product, we look at these four incentives and we say if you achieve it, and this is just general market trends now, if you achieve these targets, or if you don't, there's kind of a penalty or a discount which needs to be paid by either the bank or the corporate. Now, an increasing market trend is that clients are enjoying the symmetric nature of these ESG trades. So we're talking, for example, if Matito does not achieve these particular KPIs, they actually pay off something to a third-party beneficiary or a charitable organization. And vice versa, if they do actually achieve those KPIs, the benefit goes from HSBC to a third-party beneficiary. And this is especially seen in the European and US market. And as I said, uh,
0: Matito is a leading pioneer for, suitab- for sustainability in this region. So Rami, from your perspective, you've done this deal with HSBC and there are others as well. We'll get onto a $120 million sustainability-linked loan. How does your chief finance officer feel about that? I think it's
1: important to look at where, where do we come from as an organisation looking, in, looking into this. And uh, I'd like to say it's effectively in our blood to be focused on, on sustainability. It's our core business. Our core business is about taking care of the environment that we're in. And if I go, uh, go as far back as uh, 1987 was when our founders coined the term uh, commitment to a cleaner environment. So for us, well before the word sustainability became popularized, um, well before the term ESG was coined, uh, we've been there thinking at, uh, uh, and I'm doing everything possible to serve the environment that we're in. If we don't achieve these targets, we're definitely doing something wrong. Um, so I do feel both the responsibility, but also a pride in terms of uh, where we're going uh, to achieve these. Um, so, uh, the, and there's always continuous opportunity for improvement, and hence these targets are not necessarily easy targets um, and those that we have to work hard to achieve, but um, that's what we're here for, that's what we're here about, and uh, we look forward to pushing the envelope.
0: Well, that's interesting, and that brings me on to the history bit that I was going to mention, because you talked about 1958 being founded, and as you mentioned, no one was talking about ESG back then. And then Tell us a little bit about when and where it was founded that there was a higher purpose, not just profit. Did, did that exist back then, or am I being a little bit too idealistic and naive? The
1: honest answer, I think, is
0: a combo of both. And
1: that, um, yes, there, you know, there, there, there is definitely uh, a commercial aspect to founding a company, but also uh, you know, there is a, let's go before you call it social, I think it would feel good. But the company, you asked about history was founded in 1958 by my late father, Burr Gondor. He came up with a very generic title, uh, Metito was Middle East Technical Industrial Trading Organization, i.e. Middle East is as far as he could potentially think, and he would come up with sort of everything that he could think of at the time. And he moved into swimming pool filters, and he started as a one-man show assembling swimming pool filters, and that grew to larger pools, more commercial pools. He was joined in 1965 uh, by our current chairman, uh, my uncle Martes, his, his younger brother, and it was a partnership with the with the two gods. And as he went through from swimming pools, he started looking at, you know, the wider uh, water scarcity issue, recognizing that we live in a part of the world, the Middle East in general, uh, where water scarcity is very much an issue. Um, maybe in Lebanon at the time where he was, it was less of an issue than the surrounding countries, but he was very aware that it was was an issue. And uh, in the late 60s, um, he saw an article about uh, uh, DuPont in the US using membranes to remove salt out of water for industrial use. And a light suddenly came on. And he said, well, if they can do that for industrial use, we can do that for potable use. Um, And uh, the two brothers went to the US, they spoke to DuPont. And they, as a result, uh, built the first desalination by reverse osmosis, which is the current uh, predominant technology today uh, in the world for potable use, which was for Libya uh, uh, back in 1972. And from then, moved into uh, desalination and supplying water to a very arid part of the world. And then in the 90s, um, they saw the need that not just to supply plant and equipment, but to actually invest into these assets and owning and operating them, and that, well, that's why in 1999 uh, we signed our first two concessions. One was the Dubai Investment Park, one that I mentioned, and the other was desalination concession uh, serving Sharm El Sheikh, Egypt. We secured more projects. We developed projects supplying water. Uh, to the port sector in Indonesia, we supplied, uh, or we developed a project recycling wastewater in Bahrain, uh, to name a few. And as as those started to to develop, uh, we realized that we couldn't just fund these from internal cash, and we needed to have access to stronger firepower. Um, And that's why uh, in 2006, uh, we brought in a private equity firm, Gulf Capital, And 2007, shortly thereafter, we brought in IFC, part of the World Bank, into the shareholding. Um, And so the shareholding diversified to be able to have these uh, these partners that could help us provide the capital that's required uh, for growth. On from a shareholding point of view, uh, that continued till 2014. uh, Both Gas Capital and IFC did a partial exit to Mitsubishi Corporation and Mitsubishi Heavy Industries um and so that's why today our traveling consists of the two Mitsubishi's uh as well as a gulf capital related entity uh IFC and the family obviously in that process uh we've also gone through quite a few different financing instruments so uh, HSBC was uh, very active in some of those in providing various uh you know long term finance that helps us um uh, fund this business uh, going forward
0: so, Karen Cannon, if I can bring you in here and talk a little bit about these, these products that you've developed, the derivatives, also the loan linked to achieving sustainability targets. And it's almost a similar question that I asked to Rami about how his chief finance officer feels about this. Uncertainty and unpredictability are, are not things that bankers typically like when they're structuring the terms of any kind of financial instrument. So how did HSBC come to this arrangement or agreement where there is this this variability in terms of the 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 terms of the structure linked to achieving kpis in esg in this particular case it's also important to note that we've been you
2: know working with rami and rami's team on developing or looking at these kpis for quite some time to be fair as rami mentioned Matito had the ESG agenda for quite some time. They've been you know, printing sustainability reports, if I'm right, uh, since 2016 or 2017. So this was, to be fair, a much easier case. But the whole ESG agenda keeps on evolving. And as a bank, for us, it's important to start identifying very ambitious KPIs. And that's what Metito said. So what we do is sit down uh, with the Metito team or the clients and we say, OK, this is your sustainability program. Uh, these are the kind of KPIs which you're looking to set, how ambitious are they? And once we do that, then we start structuring either the financing side or the derivative side. In this particular case, since the derivative followed the financing angle, we were able to just replicate those KPIs and plug it into the derivative, right? But as I said, trends are changing, right? I mean, uh, you know, initially what used to happen is to have just one particular KPI and you probably would have a financing or derivative on the back of that. Nowadays, we're looking at KPIs have become uh, a lot more ambitious and constructive. So we try to plug three or four KPIs together and ensure that's as ambitious as possible. And to be fair, Matito's KPIs were actually four of them across different uh, pillars of ESG. Three were environmental and one was social,
0: right? Rami, if I can, if we look at the past two or three years, we know it's been incredibly turbulent. How has it impacted you since, let's say, February 2020, pre-COVID and going through COVID and going through the highs and lows of oil prices and going through the geopolitics and going through some of the supply chain challenges that the world has faced? Again, I know it's a big question, but just pick out a few uh, 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 highlights is the wrong word. Pick out a, a few memories that you have of the past two and a half years or so, some of the challenges and how you've overcome them.
1: It's, it's a very fair point, Richard. And obviously, uh, like everyone, uh, this whole sort of COVID uh, period, and hopefully now we can say post-COVID period, has added sort of uh, ups and downs. Um, yes, supply chain has been very complicated. And if we go back to the era of lockdowns and travel restrictions and all of that, uh, it made life quite difficult. But what it also did was it brought us closer to our clients um, in that I think we felt a a much more cooperative approach uh, where we're all working towards the same goal. Um, And so I see that as a silver lining of of what what it did was uh, as the challenges came up, um, overcoming them became much more of a joint affair, looking for a joint mutual success. uh, so that's that's one aspect that I think was very. Was the second aspect, and I must thank HSBC for this, is generally you know the support that we've been getting, uh, you know, from our partners, including our bankers, in terms of uh, being able uh, to go forward, uh, uh, providing the right type of liquidity as and when required, which is uh, which is clearly an issue and something that uh, uh, they've been very helpful on. Uh, as I look at the business going forward. Um, what I think it's done is, is highlighted the need for infrastructure, so particularly sustainable infrastructure, and made that top priority. So um, long-term, I feel the outlook is very positive in, in that, um, at least for our sector, for, for water, for wastewater, for sustainable solutions, it's something which uh, people now really do fundamentally care about, uh, and governments care about that. And therefore, a lot of these are being prioritized which i think is very important
0: finally let's talk about cop 28 which is happening in the uae in a year's time but let's talk about cop 27 it's interesting you mentioned sharm el sheikh and, and one of your projects there one of your landmark projects in sharm el sheikh and of course you're going to be there rami aren't you probably when this podcast is is released tell us about that uh
1: yes um, I actually just uh, booked my hotel yesterday and I found it's one of the hotels that we supply the water to. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be experiencing it from the uh, other side. But uh, to me, I think the whole, the whole fact that these two cops are being held in the region uh, is very important. Obviously looking at it from the water point of view, I think uh, water is a key topic uh, for the region. So having cop here, Uh, I think will help my agenda of highlighting the importance of water conservation, water reuse, sustainable forms of desalination um, and and other innovative solutions. Um, I'm looking forward to it, putting everybody together and getting that, having all these high level uh, delegates and government representatives and industry representatives uh, focus on the issue. COP27 being in Egypt, I think we'll also have an important Africa angle to it. Uh, Africa is um, uh, a country that has uh, severe, or a continent that has severe water issues, um, and therefore one that uh, I think is important to highlight the need for investment. You know, Africa is not necessarily an easy place to do business in. Uh, We're looking forward to announcing some partnerships and investments uh, in various African countries uh, throughout call. Uh, and I think that's something that is something that's much needed and, and we're looking forward to. Then we move on to COP28. Again, COP28 being in the UAE, uh, in an extremely arid country, has is, is got water as very much a key issue. Uh, I am aware that it is one of the, the top topics there. And we know that the organisers are going to be very focused and they're going to be very well structured about highlighting these issues and, and making it go forward. So I feel uh, having these two events here is very positive um, uh, to, uh, to the topic.
0: A final quick word, gents, before I let you go, on innovation. And if I can start with innovation from a banking perspective, Karen Cannery, if I can bring you in now, clearly some of these products that you've developed with Matito and elsewhere within the bank, are innovative when it comes to ESG. What's next in terms of innovation of financial products, banking products over the next not just year or two, but decades as HSBC heads towards its net zero target? How is innovation in the world of finance as it relates to sustainability going to develop? Would you imagine over the next few years and decades?
2: What I do see is Increase appetite to green and sustainable link financing, right? In whichever format, whether it be via banks, whether it be uh, via debt capital markets or equity capital markets. Uh, I do see some of the structures of ESG changing as well, as you just mentioned, how the KPIs are built in. Uh, KPIs today may not be valid a couple of years down the line, right? Uh, You know, the integration of sustainable practices into corporate strategies is a big part of meeting shareholder expectations. And is a big requirement for corporates nowadays. I would also expect in that space then the regulatory landscape to change or to keep on changing, uh, especially concerning ESG disclosures and to ensure that it moves in tandem with the ever expanding ESG journey. But I'll probably answer your question in a decade from now and let you know the answer. (laughs)
0: We'll we'll catch up in 2032. But very quickly, just to pick up, Karen, on that word you mentioned, appetite there, from clients. Is there appetite out there? Are are the big corporates, maybe even small to medium-sized corporates, who want this type, this universe of products and services and solutions?
2: Absolutely. The dialogue I'm having today, as compared to a year or a couple years uh, previously, is a lot more. I think everybody's keen, to start on the ESG journey, some are already on it, right? Uh, I think the main part out here is gonna be education. How do you take something which has been discussed in a boardroom to a final product? In materials case, I think it also stems from the ownership, right? As Rami said, that plan has been, or the ESG plan or the journey has been with them for ages now. And that's what we need. We need it to stem
0: from the ownership level and then come down and just makes life so much easier. Uh, Finally, Rami, for you, the innovation question. I love the story that you told about your dad and your uncle, your your dad, the chemical engineer, heading to the United States in the 60s to see DuPont when they heard about these membrane things and, and then reverse osmosis, which was absolutely cutting edge back then. And now you're doing things with wastewater to potable, wastewater to irrigation in Egypt and so on. What's the next frontier in terms of innovation, solar power as well, the next frontier in terms of innovation in your industry, would you say, that's going to be the game changer over the next 10 years or so?
1: I think there's, you know, multiple game, chases, game changes taking place. Renewable energy is obviously one of them that's already started that trend and that will continue and that will have a tremendous impact. With that, I think we look at, let's see if, we, if we talk about diesel first, uh, there's new technologies coming up in terms of recovering further minerals from brine, which I think is going to be very important. There are new technologies and also uh, linking to the developments in the hydrogen space that I think could could have a tremendous impact on energy consumption. There is also a different business model and actually different project type that I'd like to highlight that I think is very innovative, which is we have just supplied the first of three barges where where there's large-scale desalination on the barge. Uh, The two two others are in construction right now in Port Rashid. Um, And the the first one is now being delivered to Shikake and Saudi Arabia. Um, and uh, what that does is that's fifty thousand cubic meters per day of desalination. Uh, it's on a barge. It's located four kilometers offshore. Um, and so, what what's the benefit of that? Uh, number one, you don't use up the real estate on the coast, uh, which is always valuable real estate. Number two, you have uh, mobility, and that that barge can be moved. Not every day, but if you need to move it, say once a year or something, it's doable. But from a technology point of view, also, you you need to do a lot less because typically the water four kilometers offshore is a lot cleaner than the water close to the coast. So you need to do less to treat it. And then typically the currents um, are stronger. So in terms of dispersing the brine, which is uh, something that needs to be studied very carefully uh, to ensure that there's no environmental impact, it's also much easier to do when you're offshore. So I see that to be a big future trend and as that concept is now proven I see more and more of that taking place and that's something that we're, we're looking forward to. As we go through all of these innovations we couldn't do so without the support of our bankers and you know particularly uh, of HSBC uh, the footprint of HSBC the adaptability the flexibility that they've had is something I'd just like to say thank you.
0: Thank you very much indeed. That was the voice of Rami Gandor. He's the Managing Director of Matito, based in Dubai, but a global footprint. And we've also heard today from Karen Kanner, Director, Head of Corporate Sales for the UAE Markets and Security Services, HSBC. And with that, we bring an end to this podcast. Thanks very much indeed for listening. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.